what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike Podcast. I am your host Mike and thank you for joining me for episode number nine. Tonight I've got a really fantastic show to share with you. I really enjoyed this one. I had a fantastic chat. It's with Mrs. Monica Perez. She has the podcast called Deep Dives with Monica Perez. I've been on that show myself and I really wanted to speak to Monica again because I really enjoyed my last chat with her on her show. So I thought I'd invite her on and find out more about her backstory. Now Monica has a ton of courage and you're going to find out why in tonight's podcast. Basically, Monica was a radio host for a long time. She got invited on because she's got a really natural way of speaking, really engaging character. But on that radio show, she took on all kinds of false flags and sights. She actually had the guts to question the Boston Marathon bombings literally right after they happened on her radio show. And remember everyone, this was a mainstream radio show. Now, you'll know that these things are no-go areas. If you mention them on a YouTube channel, if you mention them on a podcast, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get taken down. They're going to try and censor you. In fact, just after releasing my previous episode of the podcast, I had a brute force attack on my website where I had hundreds of thousands of attempts to log into the website, which was trying to bring it down. Fortunately, I have some security over there that stops them from being able to do that. It locks them out. But I can't help but think the timing was pretty suspicious. I had literally just released my episode and the day after that happened, now all of these attempts came from two locations, the USA and China. So that's very interesting. Now, Just to go back to Monica's story, she spoke about these things on air and of course somebody that's got that kind of courage is going to get themselves in trouble eventually and that's exactly what happened when COVID came along. Monica was one of the first people to start saying, wait a minute, this doesn't look legitimate, something's not right here and as she started to speak about that on radio, some new owners had come in and they basically said, right, you're getting out of here, we want that woman off the air, for obvious reasons. So Monica did what all great people do, she pivoted, she transitioned, and she became a podcast host. So in part one, we talk about the genesis of that story, how Monica went from somebody who dropped out of high school, the same as I did, but still went on to be a successful person, she became an investment banker, then like I said, Monica went on to become a radio host. So in part one, I talked to Monica about what it was like to be at a mainstream radio station. She got to peer behind the curtain. I wanted to find out, is it as weird as Hollywood? Is it as creepy as working in TV or as a journalist? And really just get some insight into what it was like being a part of this kind of mainstream media beast system as somebody who was speaking the truth. So that's part one. Now in part two, we start to talk more about the personal side, find out more about Monica's belief structure, her relationships, how she developed over the course of her life. And she tells some really personal stories and I give a bit of insight too into my own relationships. So it's really getting into the 
those stories about how we become the people that we are. How do we become people who have integrity, who have courage, who are willing to stand up to tyranny? That's exactly what Monica is doing. So for members that are sticking around for part two that have already subscribed to ParallelMike.com, thank you so much for doing that. You're really helping keep the show alive and support me as an independent content creator. But I think you're really going to take a lot of inspiration from that. Monica certainly inspired me and I think she'll inspire you too. Now, for those that are just listening to part one, if you enjoy the episode and you want to support me in other ways, simply leaving a five-star review would be really awesome. Or leaving some comments letting me know if you enjoyed the episode. That would be awesome too. So I'm going to sign off by wishing each and every one of you health and happiness. And of course, I will see you in the next one. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast episode number, uh, I'm not even sure Monica, I'm not sure which number this one's going out on, (laughs) it's not the best start, but I'm here with a fantastic guest, it's Monica Perez and I've been on your show Monica and I was really excited to get you back on to speak, so before we get into anything, how are you doing Monica? I'm doing very well, thank you, and I loved having you on my show, it was a very well received episode, I love the way you think, you're so smart and articulate and it's just uh it was a pleasure and a privilege well i think uh, i'll be saying the same about you i'm really happy to get into your backstory a little bit because am i right in thinking monica that you worked in the media for quite a long time i did and it was pretty accidental i had a radio show for eight and a half years and then since then which it died of covid uh, amazingly because it should have died of a thousand things before then but it didn't it survived everything but covid covid talk i should say but really, I only was in media absolutely accidentally. I had been an investment banker. I I mean, originally I was a waitress and a high school dropout, but eventually I was an investment banker and I had kids and I was thinking of going back to work and I started studying for the CFA, which is the like chartered financial analyst credential, which takes three years to get. So I thought this is something I could do at home. And when I was doing it, it was, it's, I don't know. I mean, I know you're, you know your stuff in finance. I don't know if you've ever sat for any of those tests, but they're really intense. I mean, you really have to, you get the, you really clear out the cobwebs. And so even when I was like, my mind would wander off, it was wandering off at like the speed of light, kind of like how you drove home today. And I started thinking about, like, I just started seeing things clearly. It was freaky. And I thought, ah, this left right thing is a complete scam. Like, you know, it's not like half the country is totally evil and the other half of the country is, you know, everybody has some asshole politician behind them. Uh, and Sorry, what year was this, Monica? So that was, um, I mean, I literally remember looking out my window. I remember the house I was living in in Atlanta. Um, I mean, I want to say it was like probably 2010, I think. And I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that was it. And as I was... Um, thinking these things through, I guess I had, you know, I might be getting the order wrong, but yeah, I I think I am getting the order wrong, but basically I had come to this conclusion that, that this whole two-party thing was a psyop, that even government itself was a psyop, like everybody questioned, you know, there was a time when you couldn't question the existence of God, and now you can't question the necessity of government. Like you just, it's a thought that's unthinkable. People think you're crazy just for asking the question. And I started thinking that it, that society was self-ordering and that, you know, government was a, was always a pathocracy. I'm actually 
questioning that conclusion again now, but at the time I didn't. And I happened to, during this period of just my mind being on fire, I met somebody who was a radio producer and she just was so sick of like, I guess the right wing stuff that was on the station. And she just, she just loved what I had to say. And she introduced me to her boss who gave me an on air audition and he just gave me a job. And I worked at that station every Saturday for the entire rest of the time until the day he retired and they frog marched me out the door. <laughs> oh, wow. So so what you're saying is that you had actually never done anything in the radio or media before. This was just like, this woman liked the sound of you. And she yes. was like, Monica, get yourself on stage. We'll put yes. you online. Yes. And I will tell you, it, I'm so ill-suited to it, the live stuff, that I was literally physically ill every single solitary show for that entire eight and a half years. Not during the show, but before the show. Okay, I find that hard to believe, Monica, because you're a great speaker. But that's what they said. They were like, "Are you kidding? Like, I can't. Like, my boss, like, I can't even hear." And he gave me the analogy before I got on the air. He said, "It's like riding a motorcycle. Like, you've got to stay steady, but you got to look at the gauges every once in a while. You got to adjust whatever." And I was like, "Oh my gosh." I did ride a motorcycle once and I nearly threw up. I kept it together. My dad was like, first time I was ever on a motorcycle, he's teaching me how to ride. He takes me on the highway. He's sitting on the back. Oh, I'm driving. And I remember thinking, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. We're going to die. Sorry, um, vulgarity day. I don't know why. I know, it's cool. I was, it's true uh, though. Monica, I, was, I like, was thinking at the start what? of today's show, yeah. I, was like, I was like, how long are we going to make it into this before something comes up that gets this one uh, exited off YouTube? <laughs> so, Sorry, I don't think like, regular vulgarity. We made it three minutes, I think, Charlie. Can, Sorry, can you, you swear can, on you know, YouTube? Yeah, for sure. Oh, cool. Oh, I think so. I mean, I don't usually, I try not to use too much of vulgarity. I use a little. I mean, like sometimes I can't help it, but this was too much. I already, I already used vulgarity like five times. In a row. I'm sorry about that. But yes, you're going to pro, pro I don't know. Like I don't my stuff gets taken off of YouTube on my own channel all the time. Yeah, I've I've never had anything I think I had one video fully pulled. Uh and then I've got had quite a few I got a, I got a strike like in my second week. What was the topic? We was talking about in fact we was we, it was one of those topics that really shouldn't have had any strikes, but you mentioned genetically modified ingredients in vaccines. And this was like right in the middle of all that stuff. Oh. So uh, that was it, though. See, we, you we, just we did it. One line. Oh, yeah. I, I just set you up. I'm super sorry. <laughs> crap. Okay. I said, and I thought that. It's like, don't ask him that question. It's the worst question you could ask. No, that's <laughs> okay. Because this one, I mean, really, the podcast is meant to be uncensored. It goes out on my website, but I have been putting part one on the YouTube yeah. just to get people aware of it. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, if they take it down, I'll maybe do it. You a could few cut a edits. clip. Yeah, I'll if you feel like off. being creative, that's what I do sometimes or ask my... I can guarantee the first part's not going to be YouTube friendly because the questions I've got in front of me, I was like, oh, this is just going to blow a hole in this episode. Oh, fine. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, so let, let's go back to where we were. So you were talking about radio and you said that you did that for quite a few years, but yeah. what was radio like back then? Like you said that, I, I'm guessing you got a small insight into what it's like in yeah. kind of this media world. And from what we know, it's just this completely controlled sleazebag world where nobody gets to speak any truth. Was it like that for you or did you have a different experience? I guess I think I saw like the final straw, which was that when I went to, um, I don't know if you could hear that ding. Could you hear that ding? Okay, there's something, because uh, I'm, I'm mobile at my mom's, like all my devices are like all making noise at once. Sorry about that. So 
I think I saw like the last straw, the final transition. So the, the radio station I was on was WSB in Atlanta. It was owned by Cox Media, which was a family. And uh, the, basically the day my boss retired, the day I got frog marched out was the day that it, w- or it was at, right after that company had been bought by a financial investor called Apollo, where the head of Apollo shortly thereafter resigned because of Jeffrey Epstein stuff. And I used to talk about Jeffrey Epstein stuff all the time. So he could have not like that. I mean, I doubt he was aware of my show. Like that's the only thing, but people down the line, financial, financial organizations like that, because I used to work at an investment bank and used to deal with financial sponsors. They're actually kind of small compared to how much money they control. So you could know, Hey, the CEO does not like people talking about Jeffrey Epstein, you know, and whoever's listening to my show, making the decisions or whatever could have known that. I really don't know what the real reason was. I feel like it was COVID related, but I saw, I can tell you, I saw. So after I left was when memos started coming out, like don't talk bad about the election. And I used to talk bad about elections all the time. Like that was the one thing I would get guests. I would, it was not, it was a caller driven show, not a guest driven show. I was discouraged from having interviews, but I would interview a couple of local activists, one of whom was all about elections. So that was something that was fine when I was there. And like that dividing line of COVID or the new owners or whatever, it was not okay afterwards. But I remember the moment that I really put the sensors to the test, like the internal sensors to the test. It was, I've told this story before, I won't rehash the story itself, but I will tell you this. Uh, so it was Boston Marathon bombing. I still totally thought 9-11 was not an inside job. I was like, there's no way that Americans would do that to other Americans. Like, just couldn't believe it. Did not believe it. And then I was researching Boston Marathon bombing, which was unfolding in real time because I had a primetime show that night. And it's a caller driven show. So people were going to ask, you know, you have to be ready with all the facts. Everybody calling has been listening to the radio all day and knows everything. So you have to know everything and also have something interesting to say. So I really, really gave it my all. No, you know, no, I never thought for a second that there was anything screwy going on. By the end of it, I was like, oh my gosh. Like when I was doing my research, I was about to go on. And that friend of mine who had put me on the radio in the first place, I said, wow, like those guys were in the CIA or something like that. I think it was I had seen. Yeah, I'd seen something. I was just like, wow, you know, this is big. And she's like, you can't say that. I was like, I can't say that, but it's true. And she was like, but you can't, you can't say that. People will freak out. So I said, well, I've got nothing else to say. And like I said, I was always nervous going on the air. And the thing for me that made me nervous is like, will I have the grabber? You know, will I crack the code? So I cracked the code and she was suggesting that I not say it out of, because she loved me and she wanted me to preserve myself and not be discredited. And I said, look, I can't go on the air without the thing that I, the code crack, like I need a code. There's only one code to crack and I cracked it. And um, she said, well, I, you know, let's just get Pete on the phone. So we got Pete on the phone and he said, if you have a reason to believe what you believe and you separate facts from opinion. And uh, he's like, you know, you don't want a train wreck. You don't want people running and screaming, but just like, be sober about it and tell us why you think what you think and you can do it. And I, and Holy I did shit. it. And so he, he was all yeah. in for it. Yeah. 
he loved me. And he, I think he used to work maybe on like an Art Bell show. I think he was like, you're the next Art Bell. You know, he thought I was cool. And he's like, it's like, I, it's cool that you're a chick. It's cool that you have a Spanish surname. All that stuff is cool. People like it. But I would not have you on the air if you didn't have something original to say. And he actually used to talk to me about letting my guard down. Who's like, you're too guarded. You're too afraid that people are going to freak out. And I was like, people do freak out. They call and scream at me. Like, we need to bomb Iran immediately. You know, like, no one should cut their neck off without my permission. And I'm like, hey, man, like, I don't want to bomb people. And, you know, I just, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not cutting anybody's dick off. But if they want to do it, I don't think I can tell them not to. Like, I don't know. And people get so mad and I would get so upset. And he would try to tell me, you know, let, let, let your hair down. And it was that last like month or week or whatever last show I was on the air. I remember I had a new guy, like uh, my friend was gone and there was this new guy who I loved. He was, he was even more, he was like, Oh my gosh, I've listened to your podcast. You really tell it all on the podcast, like bring that to the radio. And then it was that week that like, I'm not, and I just let my hair down and I'm not sure what it was playing clips from event to a one or saying stuff, you know, it's just like, hey, 9-11's an inside job, am I right? You know, like stuff like that, that last month or show, like it was over. And um, so I don't, I'm sure it was the changing of the guard, but That was when Apollo guys, came in and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, and it was just happened to like, I'm sure like that was the show the guys were listening, they're just like, what the, you know, get, get that bizarre job of the air yeah, right some, now some, you know? some rich financier calling himself apollo or his company apollo sat there listening to monica perez terapat event 201 <laughs> yeah no it was not cool and the cdc of the u.s is in atlanta which is where the, the station was so he used to get the only complaints he ever got on me he said were people who um it was just this one time that i i wasn't an ant quote anti-vax or anything i never my kids were i even got the freaking chicken pox i drew the line at gardasil but I got, I had them do every, all the vaccine. I never even questioned it, but people were calling saying, oh, there's this big premiere of this Dell Big Tree thing, you know, movie in town. Could you tell people about it? And I did without really how I was just like, yeah, you know, the chicken pox thing was kind of weird. Like, why would you, you know, it's not life threatening. Why would you even want them not to get it? Like, I just would, that's all I said. That was my only controversial opinion. And he said that was the most complaints he ever got about my show. And I would say, I mean, I did the Boston Marathon bombing. Like, I would talk about what happened in Connecticut on the air. You know, I talked about Parkland, you know, and I and they did not censor me. And 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 I was somewhat discredited because people would say the fact that you have a mainstream radio show means you absolutely must be, you know, uh, whatever, like a controlled opposition it wasn't sure. true you and, know, I, I asked Roy Morich this question because I was interviewing him for the podcast and I said yeah. you know looking at your past Roy you're somebody who's worked in politics you know you've actually yes. been there with presidents and whatnot yes. so I was like you must get called a shill all the time and he, he yeah. said actually not but uh I mean how's that been for you I mean you was in radio like you said it must have come with a few slings and arrows well I'm kind of like pathetically innocent with like just happened to me the other day on Twitter. Someone was being super mean to me, like trying to be like insulting and sarcastic. And I didn't realize it. It's like, I hate people like you who throw out half-baked ideas and conspiracy theories and disparage people who are fighting the good fight. And I was like, oh my gosh, do I do that? Oh my gosh, what? Give me an example. Like I will talk, I can't believe, I really try not to do that. Like, what are you talking about? And then he was getting increasingly furious 
because I was I was like I, I must have sounded like I was I was being sarcastic, but it completely wasn't. So I did have an interview or two back in the day where people would kind of lead with the right hook there, and I would just be like, "Oh my gosh, no! Like I I don't I've never talked to like whatever the CIA." But I know that when I did the Boston Marathon bombing, I can tell now in retrospect that I can recognize like the the trolls or the shills who were callers or were Facebooking me or whatever and trying to trying to direct me to present my issues in different ways. And this is why I have a few insights into that. One was I was urged repeatedly to not say I was sure of something. So when I said Tamerlan Tsunayev was the naked man on CNN, which is a long story I won't get into, but it was a Boston Marathon bombing thing. He said, this guy said, you know, I love your show. I don't want you to get in trouble or discredited. And, you know, you shouldn't say that you're sure of something when you're not. I said, no, but I am. I am. I know I wrote back. I was like, I am sure. He's like, stop saying that you're sure on the air. And I was like, oh, no, but I am sure. And so I kept saying it. And there were always a lot of weird things around that experience where I knew that somebody was listening and they were trying to control me. And the other thing, which I've talked about like numerous times is people just, there was this other faction of, of really aggressive trolls who wanted me to focus on Jews and Israel and saying like, it's all, it's all Jews. And I was like, look, I get it. I know what the um, Oded Yinan plan or whatever his name was, I forget that, but whatever, like, I remember reading that where it said, like, we're, this is how we're going to deal with the Middle East. You know, I see all this stuff. I wasn't afraid of it, but... Um, that That's a one-way road to getting yourself uh, cancelled. You know, it, you can't yeah, even Yeah, it was the setup. Say that again? You can't even tiptoe around those ones. No, you know, I and... mean, if you, if you want to go to that talking about, like, a lot of people say, oh, what about the media? Look how many people uh, are Jewish in the, who own the media stations or whatnot. And it's like, yeah, you can talk about them. But even if you try and tiptoe around them, you've pretty much opened yourself up to getting an arrow right through the chest. Yeah, but what I but what I see again, I was very naive because I read the Oded Yinan plan on the air. I was like, wow, maybe this is what's happening in Syria right now. Like, wow, you know, not thinking. And this was a super conservative station. So the conservatives were losing their minds. And like the Iran deal, I was like, it, this deal doesn't seem bad. Like the nuclear deal that Obama signed with Iran and all the Republicans said, it's like, it says this, it said that. I was like, no, it doesn't. I'm reading it right here. It doesn't say that at all. You know, I didn't, I didn't really have a problem with it. I mean, I'm a, you know, an anarcho-capitalist. So like, I don't really care about policy, although I'm beginning to change my mind on that too. But, but it wasn't, it wasn't, so what happened was when I was saying those things, what I think I did was tripped a flag that said, hey, she, she's got to be one thing or the other. She has to be like a right-wing pro-Israel anti-Iran or she's got to be an all-in nut job. So I would get harassed like you're a shill, you're whatever, you know, why are you pulling your punches? And I'm like, because I don't know what you're talking, you know, I, I, I can't say what you're saying, which is all or nothing. And someone was telling me it's like that or like the Vatican. Some people will be like, it's all the Vatican. It's all the Vatican. It might be. I really don't know. And that's why usually the first thing or the last thing I ask people on my show is, what do you think is the true nature of power on Earth and in the universe? Like, just tell me. And I don't ask because necessarily I want to know what you think. I ask because I want to know. Like, I'm I'm taking a survey so I can try to figure it out. Maybe we and can talk about that it, one, actually, today. Yeah. I would like I would actually like to ask you that question uh, yeah. about it. But just before we leave the one on journalism, did anybody ever 
tell you when you as a journalist in terms of not the trolls and not the people calling in, but people yeah. actually in the industry? Did you ever hear those stories? You know, because listen, we, it goes back decades, these you know, from Hollywood, you've got the casting couch and all these creeps, and then you've got the CIA doing Operation Mockingbird. It's like it's like a cesspool up there. So did anyone yeah. ever give you a warning or tell you about, listen, you need to stay away from so-and-so? Okay. So when I was at WSB, somebody told me, a screener said, you're the, and this was a right wing, so it was a Republican to, uh, radio station. They said, and the reason it was Republican, according to them, because I think the people who really owned it, the Coxes, were Democrats, I think. But and and the one of the ancestors was a senator. I don't know if he was a Democrat or Republican. But so what they would say is, um, and I briefly had an agent who I think realized that I was never going anywhere, so he dropped me. Um, but he said, like the other guy, like the program director, like left wing radio doesn't work. Like that's why it's right wing, not because we're right-wing people, but because we care about like revenues and it doesn't work. And I always said it's because the liberal stuff is like a feeling thing and the Republican stuff is like a thinking thing. So you can talk about thoughts, but it's harder to like really carry on 24 hours on feelings. But it's a little easier like on the on the um, TV because it's like, uh, you know, more distracting. But what, so, so what I observed, so what they said to me was, you're the only one who doesn't screen out Ron Paul callers. So it was night, it was 2012 when Ron Paul was running as um, in the Republican primary for president. And they said you were the only, so I, anybody who wanted to talk about Ron Paul would call me, but other people screened him out because I think it was, and I don't mean to slander somebody. If somebody says that they did not screen them out, like I totally would believe that. I'm just telling you what a, what a screener told me. And it was that uh, I think it's because it was so hard to answer. It was so hard to answer his positions because he was anti-war, but pro-free market. And um, it was just hard for them to answer why they would prefer like Mitt Romney, you know, or whoever it was at the time over him. And um, so what my observation was, is that it was so, so much easier to read the Wall Street Journal. And if you wanted to be like a middle of the road, there were a couple of people who weren't super right wing, um, read the New York Times or whatever, and bring those well established arguments that all you had to do is say, I read it in the Wall Street Journal this morning. And you wouldn't have to defend yourself because that was considered an acceptable source. But when I said I disagreed with the Wall Street Journal this morning, then I had to have five sources of why. So I feel like, and when my friend was like, don't say that, it will be bad for your career. Like, I think all, I think by the, in that place, I think all I saw was a self-selected group of people or group of people who were selected to censor themselves in that way, to know what to say and what not to say, to because you had to do your own research for the most part, like except for the big guys, you, I mean, it's just so much less work to do the thing that you know is already a well-trodden path. But nobody ever told me like, watch your mouth. I mean, I have gotten that, like I did get that when I was an investment banker, but I didn't get that weirdly in radio. Oh, but there was somebody else who worked for a different, um, for a different host. And that person got a job like 
at one of the, you know, higher level entities, not this organization, left the company. And I remember getting an email just saying, basically, you were right. <laughs> like, they censor the news. They, um, you know, at this level. And I, and once I did happen to be at a party with somebody who was in a position of authority at a news outlet who was laughing when I was like, I think they censor the news. And he was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so it, it was, it basically gets done, in my opinion, at the highest levels where they control who is, um, they control the headlines that you get. So you don't even, you don't even get tempted by the kind of news that I was finding on like, you know, whatever. I would look at Alex Jones and I think Alex Jones is what they call a taint agent, <laughs> but I was what I call a taint agent. I coined what does that, that mean, like, Monica? Explain the taint agent. I've not heard that. I think it's all, it's, it's actually like kind of vulgar if you know what a taint is. But, um, so I think it's funny, but if you taint an argument or taint a solution or something, if you taint it, you 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 um, corrupt it. So I feel like when Alex Jones tells about 9-11 or he tells about gun control or whatever, gun rights, he's he's acting crazy while he, while he does it. And it taints the argument from people like me who wouldn't, you know, wouldn't do that. So I would find that I would use him, him sometimes as a like a resource of like a story to alert you. I used to read RT a lot, which is le way less good than it was when I used to look at it originally. And I would get story ideas and I would really dig into it. And I would really get so when Edward Snowden came in, it didn't take me long to realize he was totally fake because I had literally tweeted basically every single solitary thing he had supposedly revealed because I used to read RT, which was already revealing all that stuff. And there was nothing like 10 years from now, you're going to see this kind of tech, which would have been a tell for me that he was real, but I didn't think he was real. So you would have you would have a total, you know, you have a total um, curated news feed that those people look at. And then you also have, you're only going to promote the people that even if you're just looking for like revenues, you're going to promote the people who are saying what the listeners want to hear. And my guy was, an, you know, he had been around for a long time and he knew. Plus I was, I was articulate, like had a nice voice and stuff. Like he, he, he thought I was radio material and he liked that I had something different to say, but that those, that was coming to a close. You know, this idea that there's, a spectrum isn't there like we get a spectrum and you've got the the left and you've got the center and the right and uh most people don't realize the every everyday person on the street that outside of the spectrum there's so much it's so vast outside there but like you said if you if you dare to go into that region you, you're probably not long for this uh broadcasting career well this was what was so powerful about my show i think what was so valuable i would say and when i first got there they said I, they said, well, these are the top shows on radio in Atlanta. And I said, well, what about this one and that one? And they said, well, those are like the African-American community is never going to be a proportional percentage of our listenership. We just we try. We cannot bring them in. We just can't. And I have even heard that seen that in other cities where they try to have like black talk show hosts or whatever. And it's just really even 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 then it's really white listener base. I don't know why. So, but, but if you listen to my show and they did marvel at this, half, more than half of my callers were from the African-American community. There were a lot of Africans in Atlanta, but there's African-Americans 
who were calling in left and right who would either agree with me that it's all a scam or argue with me like on a like reasonable footing like it wasn't super ideological and and I, I remember the real tell on that whole thing why I really felt like it was it was such a valuable thing is that when I had mostly liberal Atlanta blacks calling I wasn't even doing a show on reparations but they were the entire three hours calling against it against it against it like you are just this idea is such a bad idea it will just create more division it will just paint us um in a bad light like it is meant to you know no we don't want this and and no regular curated media outlet is going to tell you that and and it was because it was caller driven it would it was absolutely you got the man on the street and it was they did not always say what they were presented as saying by the stereotypers who run the mainstream media wow so that's that's where you're getting that insight from actual callers and they're showing you that this narrative that's been put in the media to divide people make us all angry was just full of shit it wasn't how it wasn't yeah, the and case tens of people. thousands of people would hear it wow. in real time there was no way to censor it wow and and how do you feel now you've moved over to podcasts i mean i'm on i'm doing a podcast i've got my parallel systems broadcast you've got your show deep dives and uh, there's definitely a lot of freedom there, but also I can't help but feel that that noose is getting tighter and tighter. I mean, I've only been doing this a year and already I've had to face censorship. I mean, my channel, just to give an example, I mentioned it just today, my listenership, well, my subscriber base on YouTube, it doubled from 2,500 to 5,000 in the space of like three or four months. And yet, and yet the views for the videos went down. And when I look at all of my averages, they're going down like 50% down, 40% down. Uh, and it all started about seven or eight months ago when I made a video on the war. And it was just a peace video. I was talking about JFK's peace speech and saying, listen, I live in Central Europe. This is ridiculous. That's Nobody... the one that got him killed. Yeah. After that, it was done for. And all, I mean, at that point, I was getting higher views than I got 2,500 views, like subscribers later. So, you know, that I have, and that's when I decided I had to go to a podcast if I wanted to retain any kind of uh, freedom in what I wanted to say. So how are you finding that? Because I know you're on YouTube as well. Yes. So uh, I have a lot to say in just the little bit that you presented. One is YouTube's a really powerful search engine, but since, I mean, basically... I actually called it. I called the internet on February 14th, 2018. I was like, oh, the internet's dead. <laughs> and it was, that was it. It was this Parkland thing shooting in Florida. And it was the first time ever I could not crack the code on something I'd really set out to crack the code because there was absolutely total censorship over anything off narrative, um, especially on YouTube. And uh, that's when, and that show that I did, which was on the radio was, I got a strike for it on YouTube. That was the first time. Um, I don't know if it was the first time I got a strike. I think it got taken down, whatever. Like it was the first time that I, I really got, saw that censorship. I couldn't monetize after that. Then my WordPress site got taken down. That's a different story. But um, I, over time, just kind of gave up on YouTube. Now I'm trying to like think back about how to get smarter, just put up clips because it is such a powerful search engine. And I did hear from that old friend of mine uh, who's still in the business that if you label your YouTube thing as a podcast, if it doesn't have video, I believe that they may be easier on you with the censorship, more put you up in the search engine. They're really trying to promote 
the site as a podcasting platform. And I think that makes them a little more casual about it. I also kind of like the Spotify approach, which is they'll take down the show, but they won't take down your show. <laughs> like they'll take down the episode. So WordPress wanted me to get rid of a photograph and instead took my whole entire site down forever. <laughs> you know, I was oh, like, wow. what, okay. what was the photograph? Uh, it was a Sandy Hook one. Sorry. Uh, blowing yeah. you up right here. <laughs> yeah, that's another long story that we, my we, regular listeners We have heard. absolutely nuked this episode. Sorry, babe. But, but it will be okay on a podcast for now. Like, I don't know when they'll start c- cracking down on podcasts. And I will say, in answer to your question about, you know, more subscribers but less views, I have noticed um, just a tremendous increase in the number of podcasts, especially stuff that, like, I I really felt, and I know that there were people who were doing it already. I was not aware of them then. I'm aware of them now. But when I kind of saw the writing on the wall when Apollo bought Cox, so my on-air producer, Binkley and I like started a podcast already before I got nuked on the air because I kind of was a little bit afraid that this was going to happen. And uh, and what I set out to do, my vision was I as a per- like I as a radio person was always looking for a source of news that wasn't full of left or right spin and did not end with so by gold. So you had the left, you had the right, and then you had the gold mongers. And that was it. I couldn't I just couldn't find somebody I just thought was was doing their best to tell the truth about what was happening, to analyze the news. That's what my boss used to call me, a news analyst. And so what we did was we did a daily show of, you know, it was 45 minutes of the news of the day. It was like six stories. We did our best so that you would not have to listen to the radio and we'd still bring you everything that you needed to know. And now I see like, and and so we grew quickly because I feel like we were the only I thought, I realize now that we weren't the only game, but we were pretty, you know, we were kind of a first mover in that. And um, so we got a lot of listeners, but after a while, it was like very hard to grow, I think, because the podcast space is getting so crowded with people who, thankfully, you know, are are accustomed. You just have to learn to think and analyze and think critically in a certain way. And then you very quickly, I always felt this about every radio show I ever listened to. After one year, I know how the person thinks and I don't need to listen to them anymore because I absolutely know what they would say about any given subject. I never wanted to be like that. You know, I always tried to change change it up, you know, the format or whatever. But I feel like people are learning, a lot, a lot of people are learning how to think very critically. And I love that, but it's crowding the podcasting space. So, I mean, I I wonder sometimes, I'm like, is it even worth you know, my time, if, if I'm not adding something unique and original, like my boss always said was my value added. If, if we've just taught people how to think, which is what I always ever wanted, then maybe my job is done. But I think that's why listeners are so hard to capture on a per episode basis in part. I think that's a really good observation. Like when it comes to the podcast, I agree. And I think the best podcasts out there, the ones that I stick with, and there is a few, like that golden bunch that you just never get let, let go. It's usually when the person who's hosting it, first and foremost, I like them. There's something quirky, something that's interesting yes. about them. And then also it's like I'm watching them go on that journey of learning. So they're not yes. they're not coming to it and saying, I know everything. They do know something, but they're also like going on this journey themselves. And you're kind of like along for the ride with that. And then you can stay with them for years. So uh, I, I guess when I started my podcast, that's kind of where I came from. It was like, I'm going to start a new journey of education for myself. 
Uh, I've got kind of some tools in my toolbox that people are interested in because I can kind of bring together finance and spirituality, which is a bit of a strange mix. Uh, that's because I was a theologian. <laughs> Uh, and then I got into finance later on, and I was also a professional athlete for a while. So it's a bit of an interesting background. Oh, yeah, my dad was a free criminal. So all of those things, are, you know, just interesting <laughs> stuff that you can put together. Very cool. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, fire so, and water. But then I was like, I was really getting into um, astrology, actually. That was what really got me uh, interested because I was looking back throughout history and the way that these secret societies used astrology. And what I found was there's a continuum from the very beginning all the way till today. Are that's... you familiar with the souls of salvation? No, not heavy. Oh my gosh. Oh, oh, you are welcome. <laughs> the souls of salvation are, my son was reading it and it taught, I, I haven't read it, so I can't speak firsthand, but he's talked to me ad nauseum about it, really. He, it, it's, um, I believe it starts with a premise that might like upset people from a religious point of view in that there are is symbolism in the Bible and in Jesus and all there's a lot of symbolism there. But uh what what's what I why I'm sharing it with you is I think it it takes the astrological signs and connects them to these like the 12 vital salts that are in your body. So he ah, said to me, Oh mom, you're a Leo that's why you're magnesium deficient. He said, these are the things you need to take. So, you, so he bought a box of the 12 salts of salvation. And he's like, you need to take this every day. Like, and they're grains. They're not like pills or anything. They're tiny. He's like, the stuff that you're taking is tinctured or whatever. I don't know what the hell. You know, there's so much of this in history, these hidden histories. And that's, that was, yes. again, that's part of the podcast. What I wanted to do was to go down some of these rabbit holes, just to try and piece together what's really going on. But you know what, Monica, it always goes back to two things, astrology and uh, the occult. Well, I do wonder. So I have, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He has a podcast called The Hidden Life is Best. It's about Francis Bacon and the Shakespeare Project and the beginning no, of scientism. Oh, yeah. I've myself recently. Who's, oh, whose show is you, that? You should interview him. It's Robert Frederick. I actually met him at a meetup for my show before he even did his first episode. And so I've, I've had him on the show. I actually have to have him back on the show. I like to have, he, he does an episode like every three months. So I need to have every single time he has an episode, which I always listen to twice. So I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I only, I don't listen to podcasts for pleasure. I listen only for information. So I just love his stuff like that. But I was really interested in it because, you know, the question is always like who, is quote they i i am really like always a victim of the last thing i read like it, it this is how my life has always been like i'll have an aha moment it'll be like oh my gosh like i totally get it and then i'll move away from that and things will settle down and that aha moment just becomes one piece of the puzzle that i had already been assembling so you're asking me this question when i'm reading this thing that says that the milner fabian conspiracy is at the top but, you know, I'm recalling as you speak that 9-11 in my mind was clearly a black mass. Like there, that was just an insane thing to do. No, I mean, that just was unbelievably evil. It was oh, unbelievably Monica, I saw evil. I saw a fantastic documentary. I'm going to send it to you. It's been completely scrubbed from the Internet, but it's the astrology of what was happening there. And if you know a little oh. bit of secret society symbolism, if you know a bit of Freemasonic symbolism, uh, and then you watch this, it's like, it blows your mind. It was it was done about 12 years ago. But again, like I said, it's, it's, it's so hard to find now. And, you know, there has always been, I think like most civilizations or religions or whatever have had human sacrifice. And I think, I mean, I've, I've seen what I consider to be, and I'm like the 
skeptic numero uno, I've seen people give testimony that they were witness to human hunting parties, human sacrifice, that this stuff is a way to, you know, keep people in a club or, you know, do away with them for knowing secrets that they're not willing to keep, that kind of thing. So there is like then, and I've also read, you know, I did, I did some Knights Templar research before I was really great at being down the rabbit hole, but there was, you know, white robed, I don't know if they were Etruscans, I forget what it was, but it seems like, you know, the, 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 what are the salt lines or whatever, and the Sinclairs, and there's just seems to be, again, yes, an intergenerational history of such deep hidden knowledge that, yeah, I mean, I'm open to it, but how does, you know, how does that connect to what we actually see? Like when you read the hidden history of World War One, when you read about Milner, the Fabians, the roads, and that, like, it seems like an outgrowth of industrialism, like an outgrowth of being able to leverage uh, whatever technology or industry or whatever to amass wealth at the highest levels just by controlling government. But, you know, I just, I, I just, I feel like, no, I just don't know. That's I why think, I always I think ask that one, question. One place that's worth looking at now, well, I know you're looking at it, everyone is, is that it's transhumanism. Because I, I think that can only have a, a cult origin because it's the idea that man can uh, manipulate matter and become like God. And of course, to believe that, you have to believe you're above any God. So I, I think when you go back to the history of transhumanism and you look back at Julian Huxley and you can go back even further to, like you said, all of these artists and politicians and, you know, monarchs that were part of these royal societies and then the secret societies before that, you do find that they they have some very interesting ideas. I mean, I guess just reading like H.G. Wells and some of these people and, you know, like they were all a part of those clubs, or at least you know they yes. were they were touching the top Definitely. tier. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, it's super interesting, and we I do explore quite a bit of that on the podcast. But it's interesting to get your take. So thanks for that. Oh, and you must speak to William Ramsey as well. Have you spoken to William Ramsey? He wrote no. the books on Aleister Crawley, and you know Aleister Crawley was that big Satanist. But he was uh, there were interactions right where I live, not where I am now, but where my house is is uh near pasadena and there is where um jack parsons and the the whole um like he was a satanist and that's where the nasa started basically um uh l ron hubbard was there so the science fiction writers and he started the religion so there is like and i would say william ramsey is the guy to ask about that he has a great podcast too william ramsey investigates I'm not just plugging my friends. Like I just, it's just coming up. And if you, you, these are people I think fit right into what you're talking about. So yeah, like there was definitely the Satanism. There's definitely all those things come together. Um, you know, the transhumanism is just the, this quest for immortality, but you know, and then that just folds into my own journey of, you know, I don't even want to call it a journey of faith because I really don't consider myself a person of faith. I just consider myself, you know, just trying to find the answers and the answer of what to believe and what the truth is, but also how to behave and how society should be structured, you know, are like different questions to me. But I feel like 
I've, they all kind of have the same answer. And that's why I'm a practicing Catholic. My next question to you, I'll tell you what it's going to be. We can tease the listeners with what's coming in part two. But my question, okay. I guess, is if you see all of this, Monica, as you do see it, you understand what's going on. You've gone down those rabbit holes. You've you've seen that dark underbelly of society and the people who are kind of enacting this whole shit show around us. And you know that there's evil there. And so I guess my question is going to be is how do you not take the black pill? I mean, you've took the red pill, but how does that not turn into the black pill? So that's going to be my first question in part okay. two. What you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly, expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence. Peace in our time. Peace in all time.